What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we tap experts on topics that matter most to the modern working woman, whether you are running the show or working your side hustle. We're bringing in leading female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Work Party, the podcast. Today's episode is called Congrats on Your Failure. It also happens to be chapter one of my new book, Work Party, which, shameless plug, you can order online or head to your favorite bookstore and pick up a copy of. But let's talk about failing. Failing hard, failing often, because it's going to be an integral part of the entrepreneurial journey that you're on. And it's something that you will undoubtedly go through. For me, Failure is the reason I am an entrepreneur. When I was in my early 20s, I was on a career path, rising the ranks at breakneck speed. I had gotten on board the social media bandwagon early on, around 2006 or 7. This is before Twitter even existed, and social media was called word-of-mouth marketing. I was by all accounts crushing it, moving up at different companies, getting promoted, having better titles, more responsibility, and I literally thought I was on my way to VP life, corner office life. Definitely corporate life. I never even thought about starting something on my own, especially being in my 20s in New York. This literally seemed impossible to me. But as fate would have it, the recession hit and the company restructured, and I was soon transferred to Los Angeles. Long story short, I uprooted my entire life, moved west, and within three months was laid off. I was always the girl killing it at my career. Now I was laid off, politely let go. It was one big fail. But that fail is what led me to start my first company. The media loves to talk about successes, when people raise tons of money, sell their companies, the wins for each entrepreneur. But behind many of the successful people, there are a bunch of failed companies and horror stories and careers left behind. Steve Jobs was famously fired from Apple. Oprah Winfrey was fired from one of her first news reporting jobs. Tim Ferriss was turned down by 25 book publishers before he landed one and went on to be a best-selling author. Anna Wintour, the editor-in-chief of Vogue, was fired as a stylist. Hands up if you've ever been fired, let go, or rejected. Well, great. Welcome to the club. There are a lot of us. 
Here's the thing. When you're in it, failure feels like shit. There are no ifs, ands, and buts about it. And hindsight is absolutely 2020. But failure is character building. It teaches you more about yourself, your business, and who you can be in the future than you will ever know. So let's talk about failing upwards. Let's be more vulnerable about sharing our not-so-successful success stories and start bringing to life the realities, not just the highlight reels. With that said, let's get into it with today's expert, Maxie McCoy. She's the author of You Are Not Lost and an all-around motivational and inspirational human. Welcome, Maxie. Jack, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, Any day, anytime, anywhere, you know how much I love you. So we are so excited to chat. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to just dive right in. Today we are talking about dun 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 failing. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, been there, done that. <laughs> same, same. Um, but I also let's kick it off with like a positive note. Let's let's sort of flip this on its head and talk about why failing can be a good thing. I mean, I think it's one of the most positive things that can happen when you're trying to build your business and build your career because it's all just data points. I think in order to figure out where it is that you're wanting to go next, even though it doesn't feel good, it's telling you where you don't ever want to be again. And I don't know about you, um, but I would say that you learn way more from failing than you do succeeding. It's why every panel that we ever listen to, we love the question of, tell us about your failures, because that's where all of the insights come from. And so, you know, if you're in the middle of something that you consider to be a failure, it's knowing that that really just is a whole bunch of data points. A hundred percent. But also when you're in it, it's like the worst possible feeling. It's so hard to see that and really take it as a positive thing. Uh, There's that saying, grow through what you go through. But any tips for someone who's in the midst of a fail spiral. I mean, it to your point, you can't, it's really hard to just talk yourself out of a failure when you're in the middle of it. It's not as easy as that. I think it's really easy for us to say, just reframe it, look at it as data points. But I think the truth of the matter is you have to really reach out when you're in the middle of a, of a spiral of failure, when you're really feeling that, you know, and if you're not comfortable being vulnerable in that way, I think reading about other women's failures is a really positive tactic. They're all over the internet. One of my favorites is Lisa Kudrow's, you know, when she talks about how she got fired from Frasier and was in the middle of a fail spiral, freaking out. And we all know how that turned out. She was on the most successful sitcom ever, right? And so I think when you can see how people make it past their failures, it gives you hope while you're in it to move beyond it as well. Absolutely. And I could not agree more. Reach out. It's so hard to send that email and click send when you're in the middle of feeling so awful about whatever is happening to you. But people are so open minded and really like want to be there for you. So that's great advice. And they can help you reframe it, right? They can help you see that it's actually not as big of a deal as you feel like it is in your head. Yeah. Like everything's a big deal and nothing's a big deal. Exactly. (laughs) Um, And one of my favorite pieces of advice that you 
you've ever given me is if it doesn't matter in five years, then don't let it matter today. Totally. So you can ask yourself that question also. Yeah. Yeah. You can't give credence to things you can't control. And I think you have to be able to step back and, and almost have like an out of body experience with yep. failure. <laughs> Come just it. Look and at people just help with that, right? Hover above it. Check it out. Think about it from a third party perspective. But it is the ultimate worst worst. And I've obviously been there. You've been there. We've all yep. been there. But um, what I think is even more difficult um, is the fact that we live in this, quote, insta-perfect society where day in and day out we're scrolling through feeds and just seeing amazing vacations and successes and wins. What tips do you have to cope with that social media inundation of perfection? I mean, this is going to be really blunt, but just get the hell off of it, right? <laughs> like, we, it doesn't work. It puts even people who are quote unquote successful and nothing going wrong in a weird mindset. So if you're going through a struggle or you're feeling like a failure, you have to pay attention to what this is doing to you and, and get off or minimize your time. You know, if you're running a business, as many of us are, that depends heavily on social. That's not as easy as just deleting the app. But you have to look at where can you still be creating and creating what it is that you need to create to keep your business going without actually consuming. I mean, there's a reason that racehorses train with blinders on, right? It's so that they don't get caught up in what the people around them are doing and they just are able to stay laser focused. Um, and if that's not something that you're willing to do, I think that you could use social and, you know, this lens of perfection and flip it on its head and welcome people into your vulnerabilities. I think Jen Gotch is somebody that does this really well, mm -hmm. really being open about what it is that you're going through and letting that social community come around you, give you advice for your failure, pick you back up, kind of what we were saying about reaching out. You can use social in that way. Um, it's just, it's hard. My first, my first suggestion would be to minimize your time or get off of it. I totally agree. And I also like just to play devil's advocate, and I've actually talked a little bit to Jen about this is, you know, Jen has always said I'm in a very lucky position because the mm -hmm. company that owns Bando and, uh, you know, her counterparts understand and support where she's at. But what's your advice to women who potentially don't have that support system or at a company where them being, you know, really disclosing what they're going through online is, is maybe a little problematic at the workplace? Um, what, what do you have in terms of suggestions yeah. for women like that? I think it, you know, that is such a honest awareness about kind of where Jen is at and where a lot of us are at if we are our own employers and we really can run the narrative on social however we want to be mm -hmm. seen. That's not a luxury for everyone. And I think first you have to assess where, you know, where you're at in that. Are you able to or are you not? Because that's going to tell you which path you go down. And then, I mean, I think being being honest and vulnerable in a public setting is a is a skill set and a hard thing to do anyways. And mm -hmm. it's something that you can do pretty easily in a, you know, in a group text of people that you really love and support. You don't have to use social for that. You can use your women, your family members um, to really bring in the support that you're needing and the perspective that you're needing. There's other there's other media. Yeah, no, yeah. that's a great point. Um, 
And I think you're absolutely right. Like, I also think, like, don't feel bad if you aren't one to share things that are going terribly wrong on your Instagram. No. It's, yeah. It's funny because it's, you know, for me even, I just don't have the natural urge to post something when something bad happens. It's just not yeah. innate in me. But I also see the flip side of not doing that. People think oftentimes things are going so great and perfect and whatever. And I've been right. uh, like almost pushing myself a little bit more to share when things are difficult and hard, because I think it's almost like we owe that truth to women who are coming up uh, to know that like, no, you know, I fail and I fail a lot and bad things happen. And yeah. um, I have really shitty days at work. <laughs> and, um, you know, like you know big deals fall through and things cancel and whatever you know the who knows what the situation is but um I've been trying very specifically to do that more right and it's it's so important especially in the context of any of us building our careers to see because it is so easy to see all of the beauty of your own career Jack and knowing those knowing those hurdles is a really powerful thing for all of us but I also think that what's important is you know the awareness of how you feel about it that it's not innate and you know what you are sharing are the things that you're comfortable sharing with and I think before we share anything into a public space we have to know what our own threshold is. And I think a really good barometer for that is just knowing like, am I through the thick of it? And can I share this after the fact? Um, or is this something where I'm still trying to get insight and opinions, in which case you could be swayed by an entire, you know, tidal wave of people that don't actually know the full situation yet? Totally. And someone asked me this the other day and I thought it was such a good question. So I'm going to I'm going to put it back on you. Yeah. Um, someone said, how do you know which advice to take from people that you like trust? So kind of pivoting back to what you just said is mm. obviously, you, you know, we have access to amazing women and amazing advice, but like doesn't necessarily mean you should take all of it. What is sort of your internal barometer in terms of advice? I think that you really have to seek wisdom and over advice. Because I think that when you are asking anyone and everyone, the wisdom is whatever it is that's resonating with your soul within the context of that situation, right? Different people have been through different things. Not anyone is ever going to be in your exact situation. And when I say wisdom, I just mean your body kind of knows, like your intuition will know this resonates with me or this doesn't. And you have to just tune into that because someone's opinion on your situation, nobody is living your exact life. So, you know, if you're asking five people, Take what resonates with you from all five. You don't, you know, advice and wisdom isn't something that you have to take in an entire package. It's something that you actually can order a la carte from all <laughs> of the people, you know, giving you giving you advice in that. But I think that the, the difference is, is it really does become insightful wisdom that you can apply to your own life when it's something that just really is sitting right in your stomach. Absolutely. And I also think, for me, I've gotten advice that made no sense to me at certain points or didn't resonate with my life. And then yeah. years later, it's like, ding, 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 that comes back up. And I'm like, that is what they meant or that's right? what they were talking about. So that's full circle. Full circle. Um, and I love that you can't. Uh, advice is a la carte. Absolutely. It's like a side of fries. <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> truffle fries, hopefully. Side of truffle fries. Um, so, okay. So on the positive side, one of the things I love about you um, is that you exude confidence. Like you walk into a room, you command a 
room. Um, again, not an easy yeah. skill um, yeah. and a, something that a lot of people struggle with, especially when you're young, especially when you're starting out. So what um, is some advice in terms of giving people that sense of self-confidence and, and really you know, work in the room? Yeah, I well, I appreciate that compliment. That means a lot to me. And also, to be totally honest, it's a you know, it's been a lifelong journey to get to a place where I can exude confidence and where I'm feeling that more days than not. But I think what's really important to know for any of us that are feeling kind of that self doubt or not fully ourselves or not fully tapped into our power, it's that self confidence isn't something that you're just born with. It's very much a skill set. And it really is just believing that whatever it is that you do is going to have a positive outcome. There's a couple ways that I would tell anyone um, things to try that's going to help them tap into that. I think one of the things that, you know, just snips our confidence off the bat is when we think that we need to be someone that we're not. Um, To our earlier conversation about Instagram and all of social, there's a lot at play that gives us messages and tells us things that we need to be a certain way. And I think if you can look at yourself and really figure out how to be the highest possible expression of who you are, that is going to give you a natural confidence. The way that you can do that is look at anything you've ever been told to do differently, like be quieter or not be so opinionated or don't hustle so much, you know, whatever these critiques over over the years have been and flip them on their heads and magnify that, that is going to get you, you know, closer to that highest expression of yourself. And I think the other piece that's really important when it comes to confidence is knowing that the action actually comes first. Taking a really small step and a really small action item is going to be what actually builds the confidence, not the other way around. We think, oh, I need to be confident and then I can do X, Y, and Z. It's not like that. It's actually when you try your hand at things, stuff that you don't even know that you'll be good at, it's going to build that deep sense of self-belief. And so those two would be two things I tell anybody to do. I love that so much. And on the flip side of that, I think, you know, for me at least, confidence 1000% built. But I remember so vividly like going into a pitch and, you know, it was, I was really young. I was really excited. I went into this room of executives, gave the whole pitch, nailed it, hit every talking point. And, you know, I'm like, any questions? And this guy's like, are you from the Valley? And like, Whoa. I just was so horrified and I obviously laughed it off and I was like, oh no, I'm from Florida. And he's like, you just have that like Valley girl accent down. And wow. I, yeah. And it was awful. And I left feeling so defeated because I had nailed it. I had, yep. you know, done such a great job at the presentation. I thought like, you know, for sure. And after that, it was fine. We like went through the deck and all that stuff, but it killed my confidence and what advice do you have for women that maybe have gone through a similar situation where you know someone made it some offhand remark uh or you know maybe it was worse than what that but right getting back up that confidence to go back in that room what advice do you have I think you really have to and I hate that that happened to you and I think all of us have our own versions of that where one small thing just kind of like was like a sword in the stomach and you you feel like you're never going to get out of that valley of lack of confidence. And, you know, I think that in those situations, you really do have to know that so much of what you're feeling isn't you like you are not the lack of confidence. You are not all of the things that you're feeling like you are. It's just feelings that 
you're having that specific moment in time. And, you know, I think what's important for all of us to realize is that we feel a certain way because certain structures and cultures um, and institutions exist, right? And knowing that all of those things are at play can help us understand why it is we feel the way that we feel. And I think that when you have those situations where whatever it is going on in the world has made us feel less than and that we don't really believe in our own power, it's going back to reflecting, right? Like really before you try and pick yourself up by the bootstraps and you're feeling like crap, you know, looking back at all of the times that you have done things really well. And I think, you know, even in the example, Jacqueline, of your meeting, you know, you said you did all of these things right. And then it was just that one 10 word comment that took you down. And I think, you know, when we get taken down by these smaller things, it, it's reflecting back, looking at what our wins have been in the past um, before a blow up situation or what our wins were in the situation before something pushed us off the edge that will really remind us of all the positives that exist to kind of rebuild um, those building blocks of self-confidence. One of the things I want to talk about is um, we recently did an Instagram post and it, it had this saying on it. It said, do it because they said you couldn't. And um, the reaction was really mixed. It was interesting because a lot of people were like, yes, do it. That's right. Like, let the haters motivate. And yep. then other people were like, no, no, no. Don't let haters like motivate you. Like, let it go and do your own thing. What's your take on that? Oh, man, I <laughs> I, I understand both sides. And I really do just think that it's wherever you're at. I mean, shoot, like I was a college athlete. You know, sometimes you're motivated by the fact that that other team, you just just want nothing more than to prove them wrong. You know, some people are really motivated by past experiences where they are there to prove somebody wrong and they're there to prove the haters wrong. Other people, you know, are really self internally motivated and it's them against themselves. I think it's just honestly knowing your motivation. I don't think one is right and one is wrong. If something is going to get that fire under your booty, then follow that. And I, if that's the yeah. haters, follow it. Yeah, I I, I agree too. Because I, I again, I see both sides. I've been motivated by both within Same. my own life. Yep. And I understand that. So, okay, I want to have a real talk conversation about self care as a busy working woman. Um, I mean, Great. you know how I am. I'm legit the worst at self care. Yeah. Uh, but it's I want right. to hear I'm not gonna I'm not gonna <laughs> slap you on the wrist right now. Um, because you're creating a lot of really amazing things for all of us. But yeah, it's hard, right? It's near impossible for me at least like I just care so much about putting other things ahead of it and it, it, it's it's a slippery slope thing too right it's not like an easy thing to pick back up quickly it's it's yep. it has to be routine I think and I'm trying I'm, I'm definitely trying yep. I finally went back to like soul cycle this weekend and felt good yeah, you did. and like a dead body <laughs> yeah, the next day and was full dying yeah this self-care thing is so overrated <laughs> um but it feels good so what what's your advice for people yeah. who are like me maybe that just have trouble doing it. I think that, I mean, we all know all of the reasons why, right? Like we don't really even need to get into that. But I think tactically, what can help anyone build a routine of self-care? And I think for you specifically, Jacqueline, like it, one of my favorite um, kind of frameworks around habits specifically is something called a keystone habit. So it's way easier to build this entire routine of self-care when you've got one thing down that you have committed to and really care about, right? So that could be something as simple as 
you know, this year you picked up your gratitude journal and that's something that you're doing every night. And then once you get that, you can layer on the workouts twice a week. And then once you get that, you can layer on the, you know, eight hours of sleep or, you know, whatever it is. But I think coming up with the keystone habit, the one piece of self-care that is going to be the thing that re-energizes you. Um, Latham Thomas has given one of my favorite metaphors for this when she talks about how we're always, you know, when our phone gets into the red, we're running around like crazy people trying to find an outlet. Um, you know, but how often do we let ourselves get down to that red without really doing much about it? And it does get to a point where you don't have anything else to give. And so I think looking at your big picture and knowing like this is what I am here to do and this is why the self-care matters. It's not just like a glitzy article and like fun podcast topic. It really has to come before some of these things or else there's there's just a limited runway like an iPhone battery that that we end up having. I love that metaphor and I think that's so true and like now I'm like obviously feeling like crap about my self-care. But no, but no, it's we just change it one little thing at a time. It is the one little thing at a time. I think you're so right and it's also knowing what self-care means to you and like self-care like you said doesn't need to be like crystals and Reiki. It literally can be eight hours of sleep. It doesn't and I think honestly if we're talking about sleep like that's one of the easiest ones. And I think the thing with the biggest impact and all of the research shows women actually need more sleep than men. And on top of the fact that we have way more responsibilities than them is a little bit of a conundrum. But, you know, I think sleep is one of the more foundational places you can start. And we all have control over that. So, okay, so let's say you're faced with a big decision. I think like big decisions can be very crippling. And I also think like as a CEO, entrepreneur, boss, side hustle, whatever, you're going to be faced with a million decisions when you're starting a company and those decisions do not go away. I would say on average, I make 40 plus decisions a day. I mean, and that's not- They expand with you, right? A hundred percent. And those are huge decisions of like, what our next city is going to be to like, what do you think of this color on this thing? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. decisions are crucial. What is your advice for women who are having trouble either pulling the trigger or are feeling fear about making big decisions? Yeah, I think that when we're making big decisions or just decisions that feel big in the moment, when we feel that fear, we're like, oh, crap, I I then become indecisive. I don't know what to decide because I feel this fear and anxiety. But what I think is important to know, and you can attest to this, the fear actually doesn't ever go away. So what you're doing is you're learning to decide alongside fear. Uh, it was actually a, a panel, um, a create and cultivate panel that I heard someone give the, you know, the example of that, you know, you reframe it as friction and it is just something on the path in that decision. And I think I love that it resonates. Um, and just knowing that you're going to have to decide alongside fear every time helps you know that that feeling is actually incredibly normal. It's always going to be there. But I think, you know, really specifically, and I've had to do this in my own life, and I'd be curious if you've done it in yours, like when the decisions are big and you are scared shitless about them, you know, one of the things that you can do specifically is going through a plan B scenario. So, you know, it's first just coming up with what is the absolute worst case scenario that happens if I decide on X and write it out in excruciating detail and then face it and say to yourself, okay, if I can handle this and if I can face this, what would my plan be 
B, what would I do if this worst case scenario came Mm -hmm. true? And, you know, I've had to do this, you know, when I got rid of everything that I owned and started my business and moved to Bali and, you know, just really shook up my life. No big deal. Well, yeah, but like we're all, anytime we're facing these things, it was literally the only thing that kept me sane was just knowing, okay, I know what the worst case scenario is. I personally can't handle it. And this is what I'll do if if that comes true. And as you know, very rarely does that plan B ever, or sorry, that worst case scenario ever come true. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but I think it really helps you face the fear, right? Fear breeds in the dark. If you do your worst case scenario, then you're able to look at it, face it and create a plan B. I feel like I'm worst case scenarios now are just like commonplace for me. I'm like, well, Okay. Of course. Like, and (laughs) like I joke, but I'm like being a CEO of a company or being an entrepreneur is like being a firefighter. You just get prepped to fight fires all day long, all the problems and you get used to it. You get better. You get better at handling that stuff. You you make like heart wrenchingly hard decisions at the snap of a finger. Um, just cause that becomes your, your new normal essentially. Uh, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is the way it is. And, um, I think, you know, there's a lot of excitement and fear too. Like I know it's a scary feeling, but a lot of good can come from it. So I want to hear about your book. Uh, So tell us a little bit about what we could expect and you are not lost. Yeah. So you're not lost was really created for women to just tap back into their power. You know, I heard in every city around the world, you know, I feel so lost. And for me, it really came to creating a manual to reconnect women with a deep sense of self-belief and and be able to figure out what that path looks like for them and really, you know, more than anything, get to action on it. So what's really cool about this book is it has actions throughout every chapter. It has worksheets at the end of each one. It's got a little story about Jacqueline Johnson in Ooh. it also. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'm just, I'm so excited, you know, for um to just hold up a mirror to women for them to know that they're not lost they just you know need to tap back into what it is that will get them taking action because that's where the path opens up well you are one of the most motivating and inspiring humans anytime I'm around you I feel like I found my iPhone plug and I just plug back (laughs) in I'm recharged um, and I I am so excited for the book and we will have more information in our show notes of where you can follow Maxi and where you can buy the book Um, but thank you so much Maxi for making the time so happy to be here All right, ladies, we are going to do a quick check-in at Creighton Cultivate HQ with our very own marketing director and badass babe, Heather Records, a.k.a. Cash Money Records. (laughs) What's the latest, Heather? Hey, hey. This week's episode is all about accepting and owning your failures, which is tough. But the key is to remember why you're doing what you're doing. Totally. Remembering the why is so important. It makes all the hard work worth it at the end of the day. Exactly. You guys just heard from our amazing expert, Maxie McCoy. And on the Create and Cultivate blog, we're actually sharing a worksheet from her on finding your purpose. If you felt inspired by Maxie, which I always do, definitely check out her extra guidance over on the blog. Her exercises are short and sweet, and they're even a little therapeutic. I love that. Every now and then we can feel like we've gotten off path from our initial goals. But once we take notice that we're off track, we can make a change for the better. Totally. And Maxie's the best. Definitely check it out. And I'm going to head back to my desk. 
Bye, Heather. Bye. <laughs> Season one of Work Party, the podcast, is brought to you by LinkedIn. Before we introduce you to our special guest, allow us to introduce you to LinkedIn, the world's largest professional network and our partner for season one of Work Party, the podcast. LinkedIn is a community of over 500 million professionals that are ready to help, support, inspire, and push you to achieve your goals. Whatever your definition of success is, there are people on LinkedIn that can help you get there. I'm so excited to be interviewing Sarah Blakely today. She is a self-made billionaire, the founder of Spanx, those beloved garments that every woman knows and loves. Sarah owns 100% of Spanx, something unheard of these days. She created something based off her own needs. She wanted that slimming feeling of wearing pantyhose without having the seam toe. So she created it. She found her white space, and now Spanx is a household name and a thriving company. But she went through a lot of ups and downs before that genius idea hit which we all do. Today, we're talking about the F word, failing. Failing and making mistakes is par for the course in entrepreneurship and something that media entities love to gloss over. We always read about the million dollar exits and the big wins, but what about all those little bumps along the way? So prior to launching your uber successful empire, you were sitting in a classroom full of potential lawyers and ended up failing the LSATs, not once, but twice. After years of school and money, I'm sure that was a devastating blow to your, the start of your career, essentially. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? <laughs> yeah, well, I had wanted to be a lawyer since I was a little girl because my father was a trial attorney and I used to get out of school to watch his closing arguments. And I also debated all through high school and through college with the preparation and plan, my life plan to go to law school. And I'm a terrible test taker. So I took the LSAT and I basically bombed it. It was dev a devastating moment. I took a course, took it again, bombed it again. And um, it just set my life in a very different direction. And looking back on it, I always say these failures are life's way of nudging you and letting you know you're just off course. And had had I not failed the LSAT, basically, then Spanx wouldn't exist. Right. And I love that perspective on failure because I think it's so true. I found out we're actually both Floridians. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about what you were like as a kid. You know, you said that growing up as a kid, your father wouldn't ask you the typical things like, how was your day? You know, how was your first day at school or whatever? Instead, he would ask, what did you fail at this week? Which is so fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how this you know type of parenting and this type of interaction shaped you? Yeah. When I reflect back on my childhood, you know, I, there's a few things that stand out that I think really contributed to me being able to do what I've done in my own life. And, um, one of them is my dad encouraging my brother and me to fail, which was a little unconventional to celebrate failures growing up. And he would be disappointed at the dinner table if, if he asked us what we failed at that week and we didn't have something. And so all that did was train me to start trying more things and new things. And so that I could, you know, go, go to the dinner table and say, I tried out for this and I was horrible. And they'd all high five me and say, that's great. Way to go. Good for trying. And it just redefined failure for me. It became failure is not trying versus the outcome. 
And my dad at the dinner table, my mom, they also talked a lot. When I would fail, they would say, well, what would you get out of it? So there was a lot of conversation about the nuggets that happened from each thing that didn't go as I had hoped or planned. And it allowed me to start training my brain to view it that way. And that was a big gift. And then the other thing, when I look back, both of my parents actually did not spend a lot of time caring about what other people think about them. And now I'm a parent of four small children. I have four under the age of nine. Wow. And I really think that is one of the best gifts you could give your children is for them to see you live a life not concerned about what other people think about you. Absolutely. And I think failure is so op- uh, like often disguised as experience. Like, oh, it takes experience and experience. But truly, failure is what teaches you what not to do or what to do in a situation. So I read this about Spanx and I loved it so much. You hold these oops meetings, essentially, where you have uh, your employees kind of come together and talk about the things that they maybe messed up or learned from. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Yeah, I mean, I'm always looking to celebrate failures and to have uh, people feel like they can talk about them and it's a relaxed environment because the less you fear failure, the more you're going to take risks and try things. And as a business grows, you want to keep that scrappy entrepreneurial, not much to lose attitude because that's the edge that allowed you to take on the big guys and win. So um, we have meetings and I call them oops meetings. I'll often get up and talk about the mistakes that I made in the last quarter or month, depending on you know how often we have the, the meetings. And I even go so far as to put theme songs with my oops. So they become very fun and playful. So when people have a mistake in the company and they get up and talk about it, I ask them to also find a theme song or some sort of background song that would go along with it. And you know, an example for me was I stayed in a certain um, category with the business long, too long without branching out. And I was explaining to the company that this was something. And, you know, I realized in hindsight that we did and uh, that it was a mistake that I made. And for that theme song, I played the, the song Mr. Roboto. <laughs> Amazing. I don't know if you know the song Mr. Roboto. Oh, but- of course. I actually made the mistake in sixth grade. We had a jump rope routine that we had to do in PE class. And my friend and I chose Mr. Roboto and it took double the amount of work. And we got a C because at the end of it, it said lost steam from our teacher. And I was like, wait a minute. It's like a six minute song. It's the song that doesn't end. So um, I I, I thought that Mr. Roboto was perfect for staying in something too long. I love that. That's so fun. Um, so obviously, I, I mean, Spanx is a huge company. Obviously, embracing failure is such a smart strategy, especially because most of the time people are scared to talk about what didn't work. They think it's going to you know, kind of go against them as an employee. So kudos to you for making failure such a, a positive experience. But at the same time, as we both know, failing, you know, is the worst. You know, it doesn't feel good when you're in it, um, especially when you're first starting out. Um, so how has resiliency played a role in your career? Because I think what really separates out the entrepreneurs who kind of embrace failure is the fact that they get back up and keep going. Well, being resilient is one of the most important things to being an entrepreneur because being an entrepreneur, you're dealing with obstacles and things that didn't go your way or you weren't anticipating, but you can pivot really quickly and turn it into a positive or at a very minimum, not let it bring you down. So in 
all of these instances where failures are coming at me or I'm in the midst of them, I have sort of this go-to. I will listen to um, Wayne Dyer, who's someone who's been an inspirational, motivational speaker that I've been listening to since I'm 16, and it kind of realigns my thinking. So I don't know for other people, it might be a book, a certain author, it might be certain people out in the world that, that speak that they could listen to, but that's, that's a big part of it for me. I also have two or three people that I are sort of on my advisory board in my mind of people that will help me turn my mindset around on something like that. So I often encourage people to find those people in their life and, and kind of view them as their advisory board for this. And, and then the self-doubt, I work really hard on the negative self-talk and the self-doubt. So that's an, an ongoing practice that I have, but in failure, in midst of failures, in midst of things not going well, the thing that I think can be most um, immobilizing for people is the negative self-talk that we do to ourselves. Absolutely. Imposter syndrome and things of that nature are things we talk about a lot at Create and Cultivate. And and I think women especially, you know, get really down on themselves. And in my first business, um, you know, I had I broke up with a business partner. Um, it was really challenging to kind of have to tell clients about, you know, this didn't work out because of X, Y and Z. But here's why you should still stay with me. Um, and I just felt like I'm like, why would they stay with me? You know, but the reality was, you know, a lot of people did stay and, I, you know, that business went on to be successful. But in that moment of oh my God, why me? Why would people trust the, you know me with this amount of money, trust me with this amount of responsibility? That's absolutely true. And I love what you said about having an advisory board just like for your life, <laughs> essentially. Yeah. Um, who are some of the key people that you think you should have on this advisory board of your life? Well, the interesting thing is they can be people you've never met. So for example, Wayne Dyer was on my advisory board. It's a man I never met. So is there a thought leader, an author, a business owner that you've maybe never met, but they can they can literally be on your advisory board if there's enough content out there that they've written or they've you know given speeches and there's so much accessible now online on um, accessing other people's talks and lectures and whatnot. But um, you know, I, I for me it was my dad, my mom, a few key friends that I had identified, another um, few entrepreneurs that I joined in an entrepreneur group that I started um, joined when I was very new at Spanx and doing it. So um, they kind of range from different places in my life and I know who they are and that's those are the people I surround myself or call in those times. I love that. And starting a business, you know, being an entrepreneur is scary, right? 20% of small businesses are said to fail within their first year of launching. It's scary. Listen, one of my favorite quotes about this is Reed Hoffman, who started LinkedIn, who's such a great guy. He said, um, starting a business is like curling yourself off of a cliff and assembling the plane on the way down. What is your advice for, for new entrepreneurs that are maybe struggling, you know, kind of getting through year one? Well, for me, I was really, really prudent about money and spending, and I was very scrappy, and I continue to be very scrappy. I'm always protecting downside. Um, you know, whenever I make decisions, I want to know my worst case scenario, and and I plan around that. So I'm making a lot of calculated risks at the time. 
Um, prioritizing where you spend your time and energy. I assessed very early on at Spanx what my strengths were and what my weaknesses are. And I always tell people, oftentimes your weaknesses are also the things you don't enjoy. There's usually a correlation. And so as soon as I could afford to hire my weaknesses, I did. And I stayed in the lane for Spanx and for my journey that I could best contribute. And and I was very being self-aware and knowing what that is is really important. Um, trusting your gut. There's a lot of experts and people that come in that, that quote unquote, know more than you do. But I say that what you don't know is part of your greatest asset. So stay connected to the inside voice that you have that's, that's leading you and guiding you and keep that tune dialed really, really tight, that connection. And, um, and, you know, so I had so many experts come in and tell me I was doing this wrong or I sh- my packaging should never look like that. It, it looked like this or the name Spanx makes no sense. It's offensive. People won't like it. They won't buy it. And um, I stayed really connected to my own my own voice. I love that you said you plan for the worst case scenario. I think that's so important. I do the same thing and I feel like my team thinks I'm the most negative person in the world because I'm like, well, let's just say this goes south, this doesn't work, and then we like end up losing less more money here. And they're like, but that's not gonna happen. And I'm like, but that's where my brain goes. And I think it's what makes you really successful is the fact that you kind of look for all the holes and the possibilities and the things that could, you know, potentially go wrong. Absolutely. Yep. And, you know, everybody talks about being an entrepreneur. We're huge risk takers and we're, you know, that's a big part of it. Well, we we make calculated risks. I mean, I didn't quit my job selling fax machines door to door until I'd already landed Neiman Marcus, Saks Fifth Avenue and got a call from Oprah Winfrey. So I, I was very protective of my downside. I was making, I was only spending what I thought I could afford to spend and, um, <clears throat> and I'm, I still operate that way. I, I see a lot of, a lot of startups overspend and buy, you know, far more inventory than they needed to. And, um, I, I think a lot of businesses don't make it because of the management mm-hmm. of money and the resources they get ahead of themselves and I never did and I think that's really why you're one of you know the handful of self-funded successful um, CEOs not even female CEOs just CEOs in general Um, what excites you about the influx of female entrepreneurs starting their own business I love the idea of the feminine in business starting to have a presence of voice the traditional business has been extremely masculine the business model has been a male and masculine model, and we have male and female energy in all of us on the planet. And mm-hmm. I think that it's been very imbalanced for a long time. So I think we're all going to be better served when the feminine and masculine are more are more healthily, you know, balanced. And in particular in business. So when I think of all these female entrepreneurs entering the workforce, I think it's just a fabulous. Um, contribution to to society. I mean, just not only the creativity and the ideas that are now being brought forward that in in the past weren't because women were held back or we weren't given the opportunities. That's a huge win. And then the feminine is <clears throat> goes about things in a different way often. And so, you know, I I led and created Spanx very guided by the divine feminine. So when I say that, I mean gut and intuition, 
collaboration. I had no interest in annihilating my competition. I didn't pay much attention to my competition, honestly, which is so traditionally not the male model, right? And um, <clears throat> when I started Spanx, I even was at a cocktail party and these three guys came up to me and in Atlanta and said, Sarah, you know, we heard you started this thing and created a product. We read about you in the local paper. Good luck with that. And they patted me on the back and they said, you know, business is war. I hope you're ready. And I went home that night to my apartment and sat on the floor and just had a moment. I started crying and I thought, I don't want to go to war. Why does this have to be war? Who decided this is war? And I made a very conscious decision to go about my journey in a very different way just to see what would happen. Wow, that's intense. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, you're absolutely right. There's a different type of approach to business. What do you think uh, the challenges for women specifically are that maybe our male counterparts don't experience? Well, as a woman in business, I often say my greatest asset has also been my greatest weakness, which is being underestimated. So it's probably happening less and less for women, but I started Spanx 20 years ago. And, um, you know, being underestimated made it much harder for me initially to get the product made and to get, you know, meetings and potentially get people to sell it. But also being underestimated is such an advantage. Absolutely. And a motivator at the end of the day. It is a big motivator. So I, you know, I think that, um, I would say that that's what comes to mind when I think about my journey as a woman in business. And so now you're running this hugely successful company. And what I love is that you didn't ever take a business class. You didn't really even know how retail worked when you started out. Sometimes, you know, as an entrepreneur, it's kind of good to, like you said, jump off the cliff blindly and just kind of figure it out. Go with your gut, like you said. Do you think it's important for some entrepreneurs to kind of just take that chance, start something that they maybe have zero experience in? Or do you think sometimes it helps to have more experience and, and maybe go to school for that specific kind of company you're looking to start? Well, I can speak to the first one because I didn't ever take a business class and I'd never worked in fashion and retail. So I literally went into creating Spanx with zero experience and zero industry contacts and $5,000 in savings. So I, um, what I can tell you that worked so beautifully for that scenario is that when you do things the way other people are doing it, there isn't going to be big change. The only time change uh, happens is when there's disruption. And usually there's only disruption when somebody makes the decision to do it very different than how it's been. So it's a blessing and a curse to know how everybody else has done it and to study it extensively in business because you'd still need to say, okay, I've got the tools of the basics, but I, I need to also think about going to my own drum if I really want to create change. And, um, that, that is truly been one of my biggest assets in this journey of that I've been on. But one of the things that I think is so hard for people is when you don't know it, or you haven't been schooled on it, it's the negative self-talk. It takes so much courage and so much confidence and inner confidence, which I know is something that women really work on and struggle with probably more than men do. I mean, I, being a woman can talk about that and I talk about it with all my friends, um, often. And, um, so we, we doubt ourselves. Like I've, I've never been to school for this. Why would I ever try this? So I think more than not, people don't take that leap because of the courage factor. 
And so obviously you took that leap. You created a killer business. Now you're a world famous entrepreneur on top of being a very successful CEO. But at the beginning, I read that you did everything from marketing, marketing the products, sales, all of the things that it takes. And I know as a self-funded company myself, I was HR, I was finance, you know, I am all those different things because you kind of have to be at the beginning. Do you think it's important that as an entrepreneur, you're willing to do anything and everything? Oh, of course. I mean, anything and everything. It's just like anything. How bad do you want something, you know? And I wanted to be financially independent so badly. It was very important to me. And I was very intentional about Spanx. I was selling fax machines door to door for a living. I had been doing that for seven years, being kicked out of buildings all day, every day. And I pulled off the side of the road one day and I literally said, this is not my life. I don't know what happened. I'm in the wrong movie. Call the director, call the (laughs) producer, cut enough. And I went home that night and I wrote in my journal, I want to invent something that I can sell to millions of people that will make them feel good. And the reason why I wrote that is because I, I, I was selling all day, every day, someone else's product that I didn't even really like or understand a fax machine. Right. And I thought, and I thought, well, you know, I know I like sales, but wow, if I could actually be selling something that I created, that would just be the best thing ever. And then I, I literally said the words out loud to the universe. Okay, give me the sign. Give me the idea. I won't squander it. And two years later, I cut the feet out of my pantyhose to wear white pants to a party in Atlanta so that I didn't have a panty line because all my undergarments showed under these white pants. And I came home that night after the party and I'm like, you know, are you my idea? I don't know, but I'm going to try. And so that set me on the path of, of doing this. But, um, I, yeah, so it's, it's, I was very intentional. You have to be every department. You have to be willing to do it. I mean, I was the before and after butt model, the packer and shipper, <laughs> the head of sales. I cold called all of the accounts. I mean, I had no business plan. And I, like I said, I had $5,000 and I've been self-funded from the start. And Spanx is about to be 20 years old um, here in two years. And I still own a hundred percent of the business because I just, whatever I could afford after I sold the products that I made, I put back into the business and just grew it that way. It's honestly amazing and such an inspirational story to me and and obviously um, hundreds of millions of women everywhere. And and I love that you tell that story. You cut the feet off your pantyhose. And that's the reality is you have, there's a, something that annoys you, something that you, you're not finding out there that doesn't exist. You go out and build it. You do it yourself. Um, so this episode is called Congrats on Your Failure because really we're trying to talk about the positivity that comes with failure. So obviously now you're very successful, but you know failure doesn't really go away as you get bigger and successful. How has failure changed for you from day one to today? Because you know I think failure doesn't necessarily stop. It sort of shape shifts and turns into different types of failures. Yeah. I mean, I'm still, I can recognize when failure is happening to me Um you know, if I don't like the outcome of something, my, my mindset immediately goes to this is happening for my greater good. It may not reveal itself right now, but it will. And, um, to me, because of my training, failure is really just not trying. And so the instances of things that I haven't tried is less and less and less as I'm getting older. I mean, so, 
I'm proud of the fact that if something scares me, I'll say, you know what, I'm going to try it anyway, or I'm going to do this anyway. But recently in business, I mean, there's failures all the time. I worked on a product called arm tights and I had this vision that, okay, there's tights for women's legs. It completely changes your outfit in the fall and winter and, you know, seasonally allows you to wear skirts and dresses, but but it's fashion on your legs. I thought, why not for our arms? Like, why aren't there tights for our arms? Why isn't there arm fashion? And I wanted to be able to wear my sleeveless dresses and shirts year round. You know, I wanted Mm -hmm. to be able to throw, I didn't want to have to wear a cardigan or a jacket or a sweater or something over my outfit. I thought, I just want to throw something on that just the arms become part of the outfit and the outfit can be the star. And Um, The team and I worked on it for many years. We did many prototypes and we launched it and it was a, it was a failure because the product didn't work. It was the the design that I had created with the team fell off everybody's shoulders. And so the team was really deflated and everybody thought, well, that product didn't work and we're going to give up on it. And I got the team together and I said, guys, this is just a nudge. We've got to figure it out. And because of that, we ended up coming out with this solution that wasn't even the path that we were on that is so much better and the product's amazing. So let's wrap it up with some sentence finishers. So you can just complete the sentence that I'm going to say. The advice I would give my 20-something-year-old self is? He shows up. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, amen. I, I say that because I spent too much time worrying about that. And I would just like to be able to whisper in my ear, don't spend a minute worrying about this. The right one shows up. A woman in business I admire is? Oprah. Same. Uh, when I look back on my success, I think. Wow. <laughs> um, when I look back on my success, I think you had even more in you than you dreamed of. I love that. When it comes to building a team. I like to celebrate failures. And failure can be. Your best friend. (laughs) Thank you so much, Sarah. That was amazing. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.